Oh, God is good. He is good indeed in every way. He is so awesome. He is so wonderful. And, well, during the worship, that just I was just praying and, you know, asking God to, you know, just carry me through and just pass his message on to you guys. And, you know, I was reminded the, the scripture in, in 1 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, it says, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And he adds this, of whom I am the worst. This is exactly where I'm coming from what I am sharing with you, by no means it's something that I mastered. It's, uh, it's something that I feel so weak. And in fact, during, I think coming this week, that I felt so many times that's just failing and, you know, like, you know, struggling. So, you know, what you're hearing is, it's, a, it's actually I am preaching for myself as well. So we're all in it together. And... I think the best place to start, I know um, Matthew uh, prayed, uh, but can we just pray for ourselves? Can we put, uh, that's my favorite scripture, uh, Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. We're just going to pray these uh, we, uh, as a body, change the eyes as we, so we're just going to all pray out loud for ourselves because we need God's help, God's revelation. All right, so at three, we'll start with we keep, okay? Two, three. We keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know him better. We pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which he has called us the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Amen. Amen. Yes. Well, we just um, finished last week uh, the, uh, looking through the gifts of the Spirit um, it took how many weeks? Quite a few weeks, isn't it? It was a, a long series. It was great. And then we were reminded where these gifts of the Holy Spirit are truly gifts. That's it. No more, no less. They're just they're gifts. And there's nothing we can do to get them except the Bible exhorts us, tells us, eagerly desire them. That's all we can do. And then the Holy Spirit distributes as and when it's needed. All we need to do be open to him and keep asking for him to bless us with these gifts. And um, there are actually two Greek words um, is used uh, in the context of spiritual gifts. And um, one of them is, probably I'm totally uh, pronouncing wrong, doron, and the other one is charisma. And Doron has a root meaning of um, the giving, you know, just it's, it's act of giving. And the charisma, as you probably um, can guess, is the meaning of grace, which means unmerited, undeserved favor. There's nothing that we 
can do to deserve these gifts. And in the context of the spiritual gifts, it's mostly a charisma used um, in those uh, chapters, in, your, in those verses. And so it's scriptural to say then, uh, really, the spiritual gifts are result of grace, God's grace, his unmerited, undeserved favor. And in recent months, uh, I do translation, and so um, the, I was really challenged with the, with the whole concept of grace. There was a lot of things that I was dealing with and reading, and it really uh, challenged me. And, and so when I was asked to uh, share God's word with you today, it was some weeks back, and I, it didn't take me very long that I felt, yes, I think I need to do some more study on this. And uh, as I said, it's somewhere that I have discovered a lot, and I'm going to throw it at you and trust that Holy Spirit will work in your heart in many different ways. It's a, I have a lot of scriptures to give, and uh, my dear friend Alan hopefully will be able to keep up with me, so hope, uh, <laughs> uh, hopefully it will be okay. So um, now, grace is not one of the, the most used words in the Bible as, as a word. And, um, but I believe it's one of the most common concepts all across the Bible. In fact, I would even suggest that the grace, grace is the main thread which runs through from the very beginning of the Bible, from Genesis, all the way to Revelation, which makes Old Testament and New Testament combined together. That is the common thread, I, I feel. And I'll, I'll try to explain to you what I mean with that. And there are over, well over 100 prophecies in the Old Testament about our Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, some even said up to 300. However, um, there is a lot more examples of grace throughout Old Testament, a lot more than these prophecies about Jesus Christ, and, but these are, are a bit disguised. They're not like coming across as a, as a first read that you may not um, see it. It's a it's in First uh, Peter 4.10, and um, Peter writes, it says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So the Bible is talking about grace of God, but it is a manifold grace of God. So I had to look into that word, what's manifold mean. It's, it's simply, it means many multiple, uh, diverse, abundant. So, um, as I said earlier, the grace is an undeserved favor. And it comes, it reaches to us in many, many different ways, as this word as the manifold forms, many different forms. So, when we read the creation, the story of creation, when we read Adam and Eve's story, See, the grace may not come to us as the first thing that's like, a, oh, what a gracious of God. But it is a, a story of grace. When Adam and Eve 
sinned, God had to take them out of the garden he planted them in. And it comes across. It's quite a judgmental thing. But you know what? In reality, it was the grace of God. Because if they had, after they sinned, after their eyes opened, if they picked up from the tree of life and ate it, they would have, and us, lived in this sinful and horrible situation forever and ever. God said, no, I don't want you to live like that. He, then he put into his plan of salvation uh, into place. So that was God's grace in the very beginning. And, um, and many, many of those um, other stories, Noah and the flood, it was God's grace. He did not want human beings, us, living in a sinful environment where it's like a nothing but only our self matters. So that's, he took um, action. So think about um, Abraham. And, and we often overlook the way that, you know, when um, uh, Ishmael was, after Ish, Ish, um, Isaac was born, Ishmael was, you know, he was kicked out. But the thing is, God so graciously, Abraham was so concerned about his son, rightly so, and God in his grace, he said, look, don't worry about Ishmael, I'll take care of him. He's going to be a great nation. And Ishmael's descendants had become a great nation, the Arabian, you know, Arabic nation. So what a grace of God. It's like in every story that we can find. I mean, you know, the, the Israelites leaving Egypt, and moaning, and it's like, oh, there's no water, oh, there's no food. God, in his grace, all throughout, he just like blessed them. He just gave them what they didn't deserve. He blessed them with his grace. And, um, and one of my favorite stories of the Old Testament is actually found in um, 2 Samuel. And it starts in chapter 4, develops in chapter 9. Well, Story begins with actually with David and Jonathan, uh, King Saul's son, and um, they become David and Jonathan become very good friends, and um, but the circumstances they're living in, uh, unfortunately, their friendship, that great friendship, has you know broken, and eventually, uh, Jonathan and uh, his father, King Saul, dies in a battle. And, and it's in chapter 4 of Second Samuel, we start reading about the, you know, that moment when the news arrives at the palace, the king and the son died, which who was going to be the prince, and there was a great fear among the people because in those days, the next king, who's going to be like expected to be David most probably, and you know, they were just so afraid, they started running for their lives because any descendants of the king would be put to death to secure the new king's position. And so there was this little boy, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, who was only five at the time. And his nanny, hearing this news and thinking, I must save this boy's life. And he just grabs this little boy 
and probably, you know, holding him and running for their lives. And, and unfortunately, what happens? And then while they're running, this nanny just trembles something and just fell. And with the child in her arms. And when they fell, and unfortunately, Mephibosheth's both legs broken. And this basically ends up, this little boy become crippled for life. But at least his life is saved. They moved into an area away from the, you know, Jerusalem and all the hubbub going on. And so um, years pass. And in the meantime, as you know, David secures, first of all, being a, a king over part of the tribe, some of the tribes. And it takes about 15 years or so for David to secure his kingdom um, over the whole Israel. And then he says, he thinks of his um, dear friend, Jonathan, and he asks his servants, does anyone know, is there anyone that in uh, Saul's family that I can bless? And one of the servants, Ziba, I believe, he calls and he says, yes, actually there is uh, Jonathan's son and who lives such and such place. And David is like, go and get him. Go and get him. And the king's um, guards and everyone, you know, imagine this. There's not a lot of story on this one, but, you know, just put your little bit of, you know, uh, imagination and thinking. So arriving in Mephibosheth's time, that he was it's about like 20 years of age, and he's married. And then um, he arrives, the, the guards arrive, and they, they say, well, we're looking for Mephibosheth. And he goes like, uh, okay, probably he's very concerned, very like probably he's been fearing for this moment all his life, and he says, king wants to see you. Can you imagine how this young man must have felt? Oh my goodness. My time eventually arrived. I'm going to be dead. Well, they take him to the king's presence and not the judgment, but then David hugs him. He welcomes him. He says, you, it's, it's purely because of what the word that he gave to Jonathan, he shows kindness to Mephibosheth, which he doesn't deserve at all. And he says, well, I found you. You're going to move in, live in the palace. And not only that, every day, you are going to eat at my table. Eating at king's table is the greatest honor someone could have received. And this was going to happen every day. Mephibosheth was going to receive, was going to sit down with David's other sons, you know, Ammon, Absalom, and probably later on, Solomon came on to see him a little later, and sitting down with them, with all um, kings, um, closest relatives, and eating, be treated like one of them. See, we are in the same place. We are like Mephibosheth. We were crippled with sin. They were, he could not move. He could not go anywhere. He could not change his circumstances. And same for us. We cannot 
uh, save ourselves. Because in Isaiah 64, uh, 6, it says, We are all like unclean, unclean things, and all our good works are, are like filthy rags. There is not, nothing we can do, nothing we can add to make it um, possible for God to show you know, show his favor to us. It's basically, it's because of his grace that we are accepted as children. And um, so it is a kind of grace that we can't really just, it, it's really hard to get our head around. And as I said, as David said to Mephibosheth to sit at the table and to eat every day, we are invited to king's table to feast with them on a daily basis. And which, you know, the Word of God, the Bible, is the, the feast. You know, it's not only that, but it's obvious that He is with His Holy Spirit, what He provides and everything. So we are invited to take part in this amazing feast on a daily basis. It's because of grace. And we can sit down, as Mephibosheth sit down with the, you know, the king's sons. We can sit with Abraham, Moses. David himself, Mephibosheth, so we can sit with him, sit with them, and learn from them, hear their stories, learn their experiences. That is what God did for us through his grace. But, you know, it's a Christian life is founded on the principle of grace. There is nothing that we deserve except judgment. None of us deserve to be saved from our sins. So Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Obviously my uh, versions are slightly different, so I'm just reading from my notes if you don't mind. So, see, we said salvation is the act of grace. It's because of grace. And in 1 Peter, earlier on, we read that the grace of God is manifold, is different. It has lots of different um, types to it, which is like a, it's a, God's grace is like a diamond, if you look. It's a, quite a classic, you know, example maybe, but it has so many different facets, so many different sides to it, which all something to do with our lives. What is it? It's, for example, the forgiveness is a grace. I don't deserve to be forgiven by God. Why? I am the one, I, I deserve judgment. But he, forgive, he forgives me. Forgiveness is a grace. And righteousness, he sees us when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. He sees us through the um, through Jesus, his son, who is righteous. And we are, this is, uh, the righteousness is a grace. So sanctification is a grace. Uh, Holy Spirit is a grace. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve him to come and live in our lives and change us. Life itself is a grace. Bible, that's his grace. That we can, I mean, it's, it's awesome that God, in his great wisdom, he sent us his word. 
to live by, to strengthen us, to change us. Act like a mirror to show us what we are and how we are, but how we should be. And even, even love is grace. And in fact, what I was thinking, it's like, I, well, surely love is the you know, core of everything, which is true. And then I suddenly realized, what is diamond made of? It's carbon, isn't it? Pure carbon. It's like a, this is, it's the love, the pure love of God is created this amazing, so precious diamond which has so many different facets and it reaches out to us in salvation, in forgiveness, in sanctification, whatever. And in James 1.17 it says, every good gift and, and uh, every good gift and perfect gift which is both words of charisma here, is from above and comes down from Father of lights. So John also says, as you know, that um, you know, God is love. And so grace is founded on love, and, um, which is unconditional. So this is, we talked about the Old Testament, but the thing is, I'll take you to even something even better. It's... Uh, um, in John 1, 16 and 17. I'll read that from uh, Amplified Bible. And um, it says, For out of his fullness, that superabundance of his grace and truth, we, all, we have all received grace upon grace, spiritual blessings upon spiritual blessings, favor upon favor, and gifts, gift heaped upon gifts. For the law was given through Moses, but grace, the unearned, undeserved favor of God and truth, come through Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? That's what the Old Testament, but it's just that the law was given, which was wonderful, which is full of um, examples of grace. But through Jesus, we received grace upon graves. And See, when we look at the Old Testament, there's a lot of blood and gore. There's a lot of killing and stuff. But it was because of the law that they threw, you know, God made covenant with his people. So that was, that, is, that was the result of that law. But when Jesus came, he brought grace upon grace, blessings upon blessings. And so we don't see much blood and gore except the cross. I mean, obviously, that blood that Jesus shed on the um, cross, that was, that was way beyond what we've seen in the Old Testament, but that was the it, that was it. And he brought um, grace upon grace, and he prepared us for this climate, climax, living in the grace upon grace. But... Yes, there is, a, there is a but in the sermon. So I see something in my own life that makes me upset, as I said earlier, that I am the worst of sinners. And, um, and it is so upsetting to see sometimes myself being so full, act like the Galatians, and who in the New Testament who thought keeping the law is necessary to God's acceptance. 
and, and somehow I return to my Tower of Babel instinct. You know what I mean? It's in, in Genesis um, 4, uh, 11, 4. It says how mankind, they said, let us, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. It's, like a, it's, it's so easy to turn from God's goodness, his provision of grace, to myself doing something for myself. And so that's why I call it um, you know, that instinct that which is in us. In Galatians 3.1, Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? And in Chapter 5, verse 4, he says, You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. See, when we want to get to God on our own terms, in our own way, we are moving, we are falling away from grace. Because grace is nothing to do with what I do, what I can do for God. So when we move away from grace, we alienate it from Christ. We become alienated. We, we go away from Christ. And, and as we said earlier, that's that we cannot fix anything with our own filthy rags. So all throughout his life, Jesus exemplified the, um, the grace upon grace principle. When he told the disciples the, uh, you know, the parable of the, the, the workers in the vineyard, do you remember the one that you know, they were just waiting on the streets and he said, send them, oh, go and work in the uh, vineyard. And then you know, a little later, a few hours later, he found some others. He sent them there as well. There was like an hour left and in the late in the afternoon and he's seen some more standing there. So what are you waiting here? Just go, go and, you know, work in the vineyard. And at the end of the day, all the workers are, you know, waiting for their wages to be paid. And, you know, the ones that who work from, you know, eight o'clock in the morning until the evening, they receive the same wage as the ones that who went there like 4 p.m., worked only an hour. Come on. This is not fair. We are not in for that. But you know what? In God's understanding, in God's kingdom, that is called grace upon grace. He doesn't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I, I earned it. Maybe I worked. I earned it. But, the, you know, the owner, God, wants to bless his people. He gives. And, you know, when, we, uh, when he forgave the woman who caught an adultery... It's grace upon grace. And you can think of like when he turned the water into wine. That's a simple thing, but he didn't have to do anything. He didn't. It's his grace. It's purely his out of his grace, grace upon grace, Jesus gave. When he, uh, when he cried out on the cross, when he said, Father, 
Forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And how about when he was standing on the, was on the cross? The, the guy on his one side, and he said, he said to him, you will be, because he said, don't blaspheme him. The other one was like saying, oh, come on, if you're a son of God, save yourself. But, and then the other one said, don't, don't tell him that. It's just that he hasn't done anything wrong. We deserved what we've done, but he didn't. That is all he said. And then Jesus turns to him and he says, you know what? You'll be with me in paradise today. My, I can't do that. It feels, it's, it's, not, it's not in my nature. But this is what grace upon grace means. He gives and he gives and he gives. He gives to the undeserved sinners like myself, like ourselves. Simply, law, the Moses law, reveals who we really are. But grace reveals who God really is. And we are saved by grace, and this is the definitely probably number one doctrinal thing that among the evangelical churches that we can agree. And, but living as a Christian, often we find ourselves going back into the law and wanting to get our own thing because we want to, be, we want to receive our accept acceptance. It is hard to think. And, and the people in the New Old Testament did that. People in the New Testament did that. And then we live it like that. We just go back to the, our default mode of uh, trying to please God. And I mean, I don't know. It might be only me, but it's like how often do we struggle to, forg to forgive someone? It is hard. Especially when that happens once, twice. It's, it's difficult to forgive someone. But grace upon grace has a solution for it. And, and how we despise our politicians, how we just, you know, just make really, you know, cutting remarks about them rather than praying for them. And, and how often, how easily we pass judgment on people we see on the streets that are sleeping rough. How about homosexuals and transgenders? How do we see them? How do we look at them? You see, grace isn't related on the spiritual things. But grace must influence our family, our work, our relationship, our finance, really everything. So about, long, about 20 years ago, I, had a, I was working in a big office, and a friend of mine, um, you know, in those days, I didn't have mobile phone or anything like that. The mobile phones were like the big, thick ones, and with the, you know, the thing sticking out. And so chatting um, you know, during the break time, and, and, um, and she said she's getting a new one. And she said, oh, would you like to have my old phone? I'm like, oh, yes, please. So it was, I jumped to, uh, to it. It was such an exciting idea, having a mobile phone. And, um, well, so she said, okay, I'll, I'll get my one. I'll get mine. I'll give it to you. Well, the next day she had her new one, but well, there was no phone, you know, handed to me. So it was like a days passed, and then and she's seeing me every day. Oh, I forgot. I forgot. It's like, a, okay, all right. So it's just a, after about a week, 
I find myself actually getting quite annoyed. I'm like going, oh, come on, Louise. You know, I'm talking to myself. I'm saying, come on. You know, you said you were going to give me. And then suddenly I felt the Lord just telling me, what are you going on about? It's just grace. She is giving this. You don't deserve it. I haven't deserved um, anything from, um, to receive anything from her. And, um, and it really sank. I just realized there's nothing that I can, you know, I, I can't complain about this. Just out of her goodness, out of a good heart, she decided to give it to me. If she chooses not to give, what am I going to say? Nothing. It's the grace of Louise it was in that case. And uh, yes, I did eventually, she did give me the phone. And I didn't get nasty at her, but yeah, I did get my phone from her. So, um, so the fact is that we are all born with tendency to sin. We have that. Um, we do not need to uh, teach a child not to share his or her toys. No parent teach their child to have throw a tantrum, do they? They know it. It's there. It's there. It's built in. Uh, it's, the, it's our sinful condition. And so, but I must say, we parents or adults, we do contribute to a certain behaviors which children develop. Um, uh, we do that quite unconsciously, some behaviors or some words. And um, it's very easy to bribe a child to get something for them to do. It's just a, you know, it's just a, we say, oh, if you do this, I'll give this to you. And, and in fact, probably all of us, especially in the Western culture, we grow up what are with a, uh, what I call a Santa syndrome. What I mean is, Santa brings you good gifts if you're a good boy or a girl. If not, you end up with a call, right? In the uh, thing. So that is, that is it's nice, isn't it? That's a, it's a cute little thing the children enjoy. But if we are not really teaching in the right context, this kind of things develop, our, um, it trains us, in works. We say, oh, you know, work hard, you're going to get good school, so you need to do this, you need to do that. So it's like a, we put conditions. You know, if you're doing good, if you're successful, if you get good grades, you're going to get to a good school. If you don't get good grades, you won't get to a good school. It's, these are things that we don't even think twice, like this, you know, talking to our children about Santa, bringing good gifts, if you're a good boy, good girl, this what it says to the little minds, okay, I need to work hard. I need to behave well. Then, Santa will bring me good things. Or then, I'll go to a good school. So, and then with that mindset, when you come to accept Christ, when you accept Jesus in your life to be saved from your sin, you accept it as your, um, you know, it's gift. That's great. And afterwards you say, oh, how can, I, how, how can I pay it back to you? We don't, this is unconsciously going behind our heads. It's so, because we're so built with these kind of things. So, it, it's, a, it's God's grace is free. I don't need to do anything to receive His grace. And 
And of course the Bible encourages us to be thankful, to praise Him. That's, that's perfectly right. Nothing wrong with that. But that is not making us acceptable to God. That comes out of the joy and the amazing grace that He showed us the goodness he showed us, we've been talking about God's goodness all morning, and it's just a, it comes out in response to that. So God loves everyone the same, whoever they are, whether they're Christian or not. I will even suggest, you may not agree with me, you know, God loves me same as he loved Hitler. But, Hitler and the, you know, the other people, that obviously when they have not responded to their, uh, that grace which was given to them, they put themselves under the judgment, which that is the, you know, the, you know we all know John 3.16, but I'm going to put uh, John 3.18 and 19 this time for us to look through. It says, whoever believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. God loves everyone the same. There is no distinction, absolutely no distinction, but how we respond to that love, how we respond to that grace determines how this principle um, falls into place. And then we can easily put ourselves in the condemnation by not believing, and by not accepting. So, as a Christian, there's nothing I can do to make love, to make God love me more or less. He loves to the full capacity which is eternal. And yes, he accepts me as I am because he sees me through Jesus and his righteousness. But his grace is not static. He wants us to change. He compels us to do the good works that he prepared for us. In Ephesians 2.10, the Bible says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Talking about good works here, the good works he prepared for us, he prepared it beforehand. And they're already there. And then when Jesus was asked, one point in John um, uh, 6.28, the people asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works, of God, works God requires? They asked him, what's the works of God? And his answer was, what's the next one, please? Next scripture. Alan, next one, yeah? Oh, no, not that one. Okay. No, just go, go back. That's fine. I, I didn't give you the right one then. So the, his answer is this. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That is outrageous. That is not enough, is it? But grace upon grace makes it possible. The only work that we need to do, believe in the Son that He sent. 
And the ones that who hasn't believed, as we read in the, uh, John 3, 18, 17, 18, they're already condemned because they are not believing in the name of Jesus. So, um, so these works, um, so there's um, nothing I can do more or less to gain God's acceptance. I am accepted already in the beloved, the Bible says. So this works may look like um, lots of different ways. It's like uh, in Luke 14, it talks about helping the needy and expecting nothing. And in 1 Corinthians, showing God's love, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, Ephesians 4.32, it says, Forgiving those who don't deserve it, and loving our enemies, blessing those who persecute us, and yet never returning evil for evil, and not retaliating when others hurt us, and using our freedom to serve others, speaking words to edify. These are like a, a selection of some works that God has prepared beforehand for us. It's we don't need to work, we don't need to work to, to get his acceptance, to receive his love, his grace. But if I stop here, if I say, you know, that's it, these are what do you need to do, uh, what I said will become a set of rules and it will become a law in itself and which will then, you know, tie us again into the works. But then we go back to the, the diamond of grace because what was the grace? If we find ourselves in that place, we need to go back and repent. Repentance is a, a grace. A forgiveness is a grace. So um, I believe the biggest difference that the, uh, the true Christianity has um, from any other religion is that God's enablement through the grace of the Holy Spirit. No other religion just points out the, um, the problem and then gives the empowerment with it. I come from a Muslim background. I was brought up as a Muslim. And that is something, it's not in Islam. It's just that you work, your works, good works, um, you know, if you're good at it, and then that's fine. But you never know until the last minute. So, and see, even Trinity is a grace of God. If God didn't reveal himself in three persons, in Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't have had that enablement which comes um, when we receive God, So uh, when we receive Jesus as our Savior. So becoming a child of God requires grace. But living uh, as a child of God requires grace upon grace. And I'm going to finish uh, soon, very soon. <laughs> and, um, but again, the grace is not something that we born with. We have to learn. It's in uh, 2 Peter 3.18. It says, you Therefore, beloved, since you know uh, this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we must grow in grace. We must learn. It is a process. And Holy Spirit leads us in all truth. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. And we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to 
lead us, to help us to grow in the grace of God. And if you make mistake, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. It's just basically get on your knees and say, God, I messed it again. He's there to lift you up, to give you his amazing grace upon grace so that you can grow and you can learn. So, I mean, this is the, the Holy Spirit base is actually probably another sermon or 10 sermons, I don't know. So it could be a lot more to say. So now, what did we say? We said becoming a child of God requires grace, but living as a child of God requires grace upon grace. And that is given to us by the Holy Spirit. And talk to him. Holy Spirit is your empowerment to live in the life of grace upon grace. And just to finish, the last verse of the Bible, which we talked about in Genesis, how talking about grace, it's actually the, the very last verse of Revelation finishes like this. It says, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Thank you.